Family leadership. You know, leadership is not a, a term that you find in, in the Bible. In the King James Bible, which is the one that I use the most, uh, the term is not in there. Now, there is a term called stewardship, and we could define that as, uh, you know, you know uh, management of a household or household affairs, specifically the management or oversight or administration of something. Now, if you were just going to find just a general definition of leadership, I guess we could say it is an officer or a position of a leader, a capacity to lead. And so, even though the word leadership is not found in the Bible, a concept is. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. You know, there's a, there's a need for Christians to be in leadership positions, and certainly in the church, for sure. And we know that the Bible is pretty clear about elders and deacons and such as that. And then we know that just as a member, we have positions of leadership and, and responsibility in the church. Even in the, in the secular world, there's a need for leaders. So we understand the concept of that. And what we're going to talk about tonight is family leadership. The concept of, of leaders in the family. And you might be saying, well, I don't have a family. There we go. So we're going to talk about how we can lead in our family. You might be saying, I don't have a family. Well, you may one day. And really when we get to thinking about it, when we start thinking about all of the different memberships of a family, we do have a leadership role. You might be an, an aunt or an uncle. You might be an older brother or sister. You might be a cousin. But in your family, you're going to have a leadership role. There is going to be a place for you as a leader. So tonight, we're going to look at leadership. We're going to look at what the Bible says about leadership. We're going to look at some common sense things about leadership as well. So let's, let's start with that. What makes an effective leader? Well, what does make an effective leader? And we're talking about a leadership in a, in a family. And we're talking about spiritual matters. So what makes that effective leader? First, a positive influence. If you're going to lead anybody in the correct way, you're going to have to have a positive influence on them. Now, I believe that we're all leaders. And people say, you might say, no, I don't lead anybody. Yes, you do. But which way do you lead them? That's the question. How are you leading your family? Even though you might be not the mom or the dad, you might be the grandmother or grandfather. You might be the great-grandmother. Isn't that right? <laughs> so, we have a lot of different opportunities to lead people. And those opportunities exist. Let's think, think about that. First, a positive influence. Secondly, we need to know that, or first, we need to know that you have an influence. What you do and say really does matter. And then in order to establish a family leadership, you must establish a biblical plan to lead your house. If you're going to lead your house in the correct way, the way God wants you to do that, you've got to have a plan. And that's no different than anything else we set out in life. If you're going to get an education and build a career, for example, you're going to have to have a plan. You're going to have to get up in the morning, you're going to have to go to school. You're going to have to make good grades. You're going to have to accomplish this. You're going to have to take these tests. You're going to have to enroll in college. And you have to go through all that process to get to the desired end, right? You've got to have a plan. A leader has got to have a plan, a biblical plan, to lead a house. To place God's plan into action. Now, what's, what's the difference in that? Well, you can have all the plans that you want. I can have a, a huge set of house plans, 
But somebody got to get out there with a hammer. And somebody's got to put those plans into effect. You've got to start the process. You've got to see the process through. And you've got to finally get it to the end for the desired result. So we talked about establishing a biblical plan to lead your house. We talked about placing that plan into action. Now exercise a proper spirit of compassion. Let me ask you something. Do you think it would be do you think you would be a good leader of your home if you had no compassion? And we've seen people that's tried to lead homes without compassion. We've seen people that's tried to lead homes with an iron fist. You know, maybe there's even been other organizations where you have seen people try to lead with an iron fist. Oh, they get things done for a while, don't they? But is that a permanent solution? Is that the way that we really want to lead a family? Is that the way we want to lead a church? Is that the way we want to lead anything? Just out of compliance because of fear. You don't want that. So if you're going to have an effective leadership, you must do that as well. Number three, exercise that proper spirit of compassion. Number four, and and always use the truth of God's holy word. We need to go to the scripture to find out how we're going to do this. How are we going to lead our family? Let's let God's word decide that for us. Second thing, wisdom. And wisdom is, is something that we'll have to add to that plan, right? You've got to be wise. You've got to know what the Scripture said. We just got through talking about the fact that you have to use the Scripture, right? So wisdom. Let's, let's back up to that one again. Wisdom. One. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> okay. First Kings 4 and 29. We got it? Okay, good. Here you go. Here in 1 Kings 4 and 29, and God gave Solomon wisdom. He got that from above, didn't he? Solomon was very wise. We know from the Scriptures that that, that, that wisdom came from God right here. And God gave wisdom, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart even as the sand that is on the seashore. Now he compares that. The word compares Solomon's wisdom in comparison to the sand that's on the Seashore, and I'm sure everyone here has probably been to the shore, seen the ocean, seen all the sand, how many grains of sand it is in there. So it's endless, right? And so the wisdom that comes from God is very understanding, and it's very loving. But this is the type of wisdom that we must have. Let's look at this again. In James 3 and 17, talking about the effective leader, wisdom, the effective leader in the wisdom, In James 3 and 17, but the wisdom that is from above, here's what James says, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now I'm going to line those up here, and we're going to look at them here in just a minute. All right? First, let's take each one of them and talk about it. We already established that the wisdom needs to come from God. We can't use man's wisdom in spiritual matters. We just can't do it. You could, you could look at any situation that we have in the church or in a family or whatever. We cannot apply man's wisdom to these situations. We have to rely on the wisdom of God. It must be pure. It must be without tarnish. It must be without problem. We have to present that in a pure way, a peaceable way. Again, we can't go back to a, an iron fist type approach. We have to be peace, peaceable about that. Gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, 
Without partiality, can we be partial to people? You know, if you're in a family leadership role, we can't be partial. We have to treat our children, and, and, and it's not just our children. It could be grandchildren. It could be how we treat our sister or brother. And we can't be partial to them. We need to do it without partiality and without hypocrisy. Nobody likes a hypocrite, do they? I don't know if you've ever had a, a, a person in your life that was a hypocrite, maybe a boss or somebody that uh, you worked a job and you had somebody that, that was maybe told you you couldn't do something or you could do something and they did exactly the opposite. And how did that feel to you? You know, when we looked at that scripture in James, it talked about every one of these things here. The wisdom of family leaders must have these qualities. And we can't be a hypocrite. If we say to do something and then we, or not do something, most likely it's going to be don't do that. But then we do it as a leader of the family. And that's hypocritical. People don't like it. It never gets us where we need to be. Third thing, prayer. Now we can apply that prayer to, to anything that we do, right? We need to be prayerful people. We need to pray for wisdom. We already talked about that. We need to pray for guidance. Here in James 5 and 16, James says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I want to focus on that last there that's underlined. The effectual, that means with affection. Fervent, that means heartfelt. Prayer of a righteous not self-righteous, righteous man, and that means mankind. And when you see that in Scripture, particularly King James, if it says man, it means mankind. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It means a lot. And we sometimes skip over that one, don't we? We forget to pray. I'm telling you, if you're a family leader, or if you're in a family leadership position, and I believe every one of you in this room is, and you need to pray. You need to pray that God will give you the strength, the wisdom, the wherewithal to, to lead your family. So, we must pray for strength and wisdom. Pray for mothers and fathers and grandparents. Pray for patience. Well, that's a big one, huh? The parents in the room are going, yeah. Patience. You know, as I'm, i got grandkids, and... Uh, I don't have to be as patient as I used to anymore. The parents are patient, more patient than me, but I do have to be patient, don't I? If I'm going to give those grandchildren the guidance that they need, I need to be patient with them. And pray for God's Word to guide us. We have to be guided by God's Word. In Psalms 119.105, the Bible says, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light into my path. And I, we were having a discussion about this earlier today. And, you know, when this was written, there wasn't any electricity. So the lamp that's talked about in the Scripture right here is not a lamp that sits on the end table where you have a switch and turn it on an electric light. The lamp that they're talking about was a vessel typically that would burn a flame, and the flame would be like a candle, and it would emit light in, into the room. So... The Bible says that the Word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I think about that. I think about going out 
after dark and, and trying maybe to go out to, to the barn and get something or go out to the garage or something like that and you're walking along there, if you don't have a light into your path, you're going to stump your toe. I want to, I'm spending time on this because I want us to understand that, that God's Word is just like that flashlight to us when we're out there in that darkness. When we're walking through this dark world, we need something to guide us to keep us from stumping our toe. And when you see that, I hope you'll think about that. Think about the fact that, that God's Word keeps us out of problems. But we've got to use it. And we have to use it to light our pathway. Not just an interesting read or, or something to think about at a Bible study. We need to put it into action, and particularly into family leadership. Finally, what makes an effective leader? Perseverance. And that's the hanging in there part. To persevere means to hang in there. That's about the best term I know to describe it. That's staying in the game. That's staying in the game when it hurts. That's finishing in the course when it's just painful to do so. You know, as a, as a family leader, I guess there, there could be a time when people just go, get so frustrated about things that they give up. I give up. Can we do that? You've been charged with a responsibility. You've been charged with a responsibility to lead your family. God wants you to lead your family. God wants you to be a proper influence on your nieces and nephews and grandchildren, brothers and sisters and all of that. Does that end at a certain age? No. No, it never ends until our days are finished. So we all have a responsibility to persevere, to hang in there even when it's tough. God's people have always been given monumental tasks. A monumental task, monumental, I'll get it out here in a minute, task is a big task. It's a big job, right? I always think about the probably the biggest one I can think of is Noah. And he's been given the task of building this boat. And for years and years and years and years, he's working on this boat. And you know how people are. They're going to be coming by and saying, what are you working on? Well, I'm working on a boat. And they're looking around. There's not even a, not any water around there. I mean, you know, you're building a boat on dry land, you know. And maybe Noah begins to tell them a story about what God told them. Do you think he took some criticism? Yeah. What about Moses? You know, Moses argued with God. God told him, he said, you know what, you're going to lead our, my people out of the captivity. And he said, no, no, not me. Not me, I, I can't, that's not me. I, I'm slow to speak and all those kind of things. And Finally, God, you know, he, he sets him back. He said, look, it's, it, it's not going to be your words, it's going to be my words. And he finally convinces Moses that it's not going to be his strength. It's going to be the strength of God. And when we use God's word, and when we practice God's principles to guide our family, it's not us. It's the strength of God. And you might look on that situation, and maybe it's a horrible situation. Maybe there's been a lot of dysfunction in, in the family, and you, and you say, I don't like that. But I don't know if there's anything I can do about it. Really? We need to think back to some of the tasks that people have been given in the Bible and look at what they did and how they did it. And then we can maybe put those in, in the, into practice. And throughout time, we've been taught to be tough. 
You've got to be tough. Let's look at that. You have got to be tough. Applying God's leadership plan to the Christian home. Let's talk about that. Because we now have, have identified everything, but now we've got to apply it, right? We know what we're going to talk about. We know what we're going to say. We know how we're going to do that, or we think we do. We're going to do it with God's, God's plan and prayer, right? And now it's the application. So first, to set out to do God's will in your home, you've got to make that first step. You've got to say today is the day that we plan to do it God's way. And that declaration has been made before, particularly in Joshua 24. You remember back where Joshua uh, said in Joshua 24 and 15, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he made a declaration there, didn't he? And he, had, he was talking to other people that had done a lot of different ways of, of relying on things they shouldn't have. But he made that declaration for his house. Now anytime in King James that you see that terminology, his house, that means, that means his family. So Joshua said, as for me and my family, that's what he meant here, we will serve the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. So, the scripture tells us the method that we use to raise our children. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures here. The first one in Proverbs 22 and 6. And it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We're going to talk about training here in just a minute. And then also in Ephesians 6 and 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now that nurture word is kind of a, a word that might be a little hard to understand. Maybe if you're older you, you understand what it means to nurture something. But let's, let's look at it. Let's get a good definition on it. The, the lexicon says that nurture is a whole training and education of children. So let me back up on that. Here Paul tells the Ephesians to bring them up into nurture, the training and admonition of the Lord. That is the way that we raise our children. We raise our children to admire the Lord and to do His will and to do the things that He, that he wants us to do. We'll talk more about that here in just a minute. <clears throat> so what is it to train? We say we're going to talk about that. Train up the child. Train up a child. Okay, what is, what is it? what's the Scripture trying to tell us here to train up a child? First is to know the will of God. Second is to teach your children God's way. That's what it means to train. You know, you could take a bunch of boys and put them in a, in a locker room at school, and you'd say, all right, boys, we're going we're gonna to learn all the rules of basketball. And, boy, you go all those rules, you have a test, everybody passes the test, everybody knows the rules. Can they play basketball? They can't play basketball. They know all the rules. You've got to get them out there on that basketball court and teach them how to do it. It might be very helpful to know all the rules of basketball. And you know what? We apply this to, to spiritual matters. If you're going to train children, they, know, they need to know the rules. But you're going to have to train them. It's not something you just feed them one time a week. 
two times a week. One time a month, sometimes people do that. Sometimes they take them occasionally to church. It needs to be done in a more orderly fashion. If you're going to train somebody, you've got to have regular training. And you've got to use God's Word, and you've got to explain to them what that's about. You've got to teach them to be in the assembly of the saints. You know, I'm talk about, um, and I'll probably talk about this some more, but church attendance. And some people think, well, you know, that's really not that important. Well, when we see the early church and we see what the early church did, we see that the assembly was very important. It was one of the key things that they did. Why? Because that's when they came together. They strengthened each other. They heard God's Word. Yes, they, they studied privately as well, but, but in the assembly, it was the core of the, of the church, really. So let's look again here in Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 7. I want us to notice some things. We'll stop along the way as we read this and, and make some points here. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt, shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Now this is an Old Testament principle, I understand that. But it, but it, it tells us the mind of God... And it tells us the importance of the word. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And it was talking about teaching children the word of God. And to live God's plan by applying God's will to everything that we do. So, Jesus led by example. We're going to look at, at one of them here. There was many. But we're going to look at this one in John, in John 13 and 15. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now he actually uses the word example here. But you can look at his teaching and, and the actions that he had and he taught by example and by instruction, didn't he? In Philippians, Paul says in Philippians 4 and 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do... And the God of peace shall be with you. Now we apply that one quite often, don't we? Let's talk about the communion service. Now Paul says, those things that you see me do, do those things. So on the first day of the week we gather here, we partake of this communion. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Where does it say to do that? It says it in Acts 20 and 7. Now I want you to think in, uh, about Acts 20 and 7 here in just a minute. Think of that in terms of Philippians 4 and 9. Paul says, those things that you see me do, do those things. Well, Acts 20 and 7, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. You see, the church can look at Paul's examples, an inspired writer in the New Testament, and we can know what to do. We can know how to do this. Paul says, let your women keep silent in the church for it is not permitted unto them to speak. So we understand that, that in the assembly of the church, the men do the teaching and, and the leading. That doesn't mean women can't do that outside the assembly. Outside of the assembly, they're, they're welcome to teach. We have example of that. We have example in Scripture where they did that. But the Apostle Paul also taught us how to give. 
Paul said, give on the first day of the week as you have been prospering. God loves a cheerful giver. So we look to Paul a lot of times, and I always think about Philippians 4 and 9 because I think it, it's, it's just the, probably the clearest thing to me. But you know, this is where Paul led by example. So there is a lot of teaching that is by example. And sometimes even the worst situations can trouble a, a Christian home. We're going to lead by example. Sometimes it's not a good example, right? And you know, we don't like to think about negative things, but negative things do exist. Marital problems. Sometimes we see that enter into a home. What does it do? It is going to lead people, but it's not in a good place. Moral problems. We're talking about the moral standards that are held up in the home, and that's the way we behave. Our morals are how we behave. And permissive parenting practices. That's when the parents just let it go. They let the kids do what they want to. We know that does not work. It's not consistent with God's Word either. The parents are supposed to train them up. Poor examples in the home are what we're talking about. These poor examples can undo a lot of good teaching. These poor examples can overcome a lot of positive things and, and, and just destroy them. And how many times have you seen someone in your life that, that was really a great example to you, spiritually maybe, and then all of a sudden down, down the line a few years, you're disappointed in them. How did that make you feel? I bet everybody could probably, well maybe hopefully not everybody, but there's several of you you could probably say, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. And you know, that's what, unfortunately what we remember about people sometimes. It's tough. It's tough to get, get past that. <clears throat> I want to just use a quote here. A family in spiritual distress is a product of someone who is not following God's plan. Now you think about that. The root of a family problem is always based on the failure to follow God's plan. You apply that to any situation you can think of. That's just like a marriage situation that's, that's gone bad. In a marriage breakup, one or both sides of that is not doing what God wants them to do. And it could be both. But for sure it's going to be one. Because if everybody is pulling together, if everybody's following God's plan, then we're going to be able to solve those problems. We're going to be able to head off the problems that we see coming down the road with some people. And maybe us, maybe it's us. Maybe it's maybe it's us that's having the problem, and we can apply that to our life. You think about that. Every problem in a family goes back to somebody not doing what God wants them to do because if we were all doing what God wants us to do, there wouldn't be a problem. You're saying, boy, that's too simple. <laughs> that's, that's too simple. No, it's not. Now, the, the hard part about this is getting people to admit that they have not done it God's way and get them convinced that if they would do it God's way that the problems would go away. It's a tough plan. And let's and in fairness, we need to talk about maybe children that are raised by a single parent home, in a single parent home. 
There's a lot of that. There's a lot of kids that are being raised. A lot of kids in the church are being raised where only one of the parents is active in the church or, or maybe there's just one parent in the home. Can that be done? It could be done. It's tough, but it can be done. Children can be taught by one person. It can be done. Let's look at an example of that. Timothy's father was not a, a member of the church. And Paul is, a, is writing a letter to, to Timothy here in 2 Timothy 1 and 5. And he's talking, to, he's talking about how he remembers the faith that, uh, that Timothy has. And he's going to use that word unfeigned faith. That means genuine. Unfeigned means genuine, okay? So here's what Paul says. When I call to remembrance, when I remember the unfeigned faith, the genuine faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois. Ah, here we go. This is an example, right? In thy grandmother Lois, and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So where did Timothy learn that? Where did he learn to be faithful? The Scripture tells you right there. From Grandma and Mom. And we're thankful to he, that he did. So, you as a family leader, do you follow a, a biblical plan of pure religion? The Bible describes what pure religion is. That, that's one thing that a family leader must follow. James here in James 1 and 27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the fatherless is this, to visit the fatherless, that's going to be like orphans, and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So what about that family leader? As a family leader, we're going to have to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Why? Because of that influence, right? Because of that pattern that we set, the pattern that we lay down for our family. We're upholding that pattern. We're the ones that are, that are putting it into action. And, and these kids and, and grandkids and even nephews and nieces and all of that, they're looking, they're looking at us, aren't they? What do our children see? I want to give a, a couple of examples of this. Now, this happens quite a bit in our area because we got a lot of school districts and some, a lot of them are not as good as the others, but you got to live in this district to go here. And people can get caught up in this kind of stuff. Would you lie and declare to the school officials that your child lives in a more favorable district just so they can attend a better school? What do your children see? When they're standing up in that office in school and they, they say, we live in this town, and we want to. We live in your town, and we want to enroll in the school. And the child is saying, "We don't live in this town." You might. They may get out in the car and they say, "We don't live in this town, Mom." Yeah, don't worry about that. This is a, this is a better school. We we need to do this. This is a better school. What do our children see in that? I know these are hard decisions for people, but what do they see? Let's look at another. Maybe you have a mistake at, uh, at, at the store. Maybe you go to Dollar General and the store clerk gets you, gives you $2 too much in change. And your child is standing there, and maybe they even see it, and maybe they even realize what happened, but mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or aunt or uncle or whoever it is doesn't say anything to the store clerk. And maybe even that example is 
maybe laughed about or glorified in some way. What do your children think about that? What about that beggar that comes up to the to the car door? And boy, that you know, we have that all the time. All the time. We know that. What are we going to tell them? Roll the window and say, I don't have any money. And then an hour later, they're at the store and they pull out money and they're spending money and the child is seeing and they're saying, he just told that guy he didn't have any money. Mom just told that guy he didn't have any money, but she's got money. There's money right there. What are we teaching our children? If we're going to teach them not to, not to give to people on the side of the road because they don't deserve it and blah, blah, blah and all of that, that's one thing. But just to outright lie about it? How about you go to Golden Corral and the kid's under 12 and eat free and the, the child's 13, you know? And you say, how old is this one here? Well, uh, he's, uh, he's 11, you know, and the kid's going, I'm not 11. Yeah, but we saved two bucks, <laughs> you know. You see what happens, and you see what happens in families. Sometime or not, sometimes we justify this stuff in front of these children. Sometimes we use language in the home in front of these children. Sometimes we tell stories and lies and tales in front of these children. Sometimes we talk about how bad the, the preaching was. Don't talk about that. Sometimes we <laughs> talk about the song leaders and, and the church leaders and all of that in front of our kids, and we got them in, riding in the back seat, and they're feed, we're feeding them negatives all the time. Godly examples. Make church your first priority. Jesus died for the church. And we just are kind of blasé about it, about the church. Maybe church attendance is not the first priority. It should be. Don't miss the assemblies for worldly reasons. If you're sick, everybody understands that. I believe the Lord understands it. But He also understands what you're doing if you're making an excuse that doesn't fit. Don't criticize people. I already went over that one. But be sympathetic to the other's weaknesses. And that's what we need to be showing our children and grandchildren. Exercise godly principles in conflict situations. Boy, this is a big one. You go to the bank and your credit card's been canceled and they, won't, you know, they don't do it exactly like you want it to or fast enough or whatever. And Maybe we pitch a fit. Ah, this is the third time I've had this happen. And, and, and the kids are standing there looking at it and going, uh, you know, they, they want to go over and get in the corner because they've been hearing things that they don't like. What are we training them to do? Are we training them to use godly uh, resolutions? Are we training them to use proper language? Are we training them to use patience and long-suffering? What about teaching your children the value of helping others? the value of helping others in someone else's life. If you want your child to be a servant, train them to be a servant. And the way you can train them to be a servant is by your example. That's the way you'll do it. Teach your children to honor their mother and father. I believe we need to be honorable people. 
And if we're honorable people, I believe our children will honor us. And how do we treat our parents? You know, my mom's still alive, 93 years old. And you know, mom's slowing down a good bit. And she can't go at the same pace that, that we go. What are my children, who already have children of their own, what are they seeing? How are they seeing Claudia and myself treat her? How do, what do they see? These are important things. And what do my little grandchildren see how that their great-grandmother is being treated? You know, we need to think about these things. These things make a difference here. Let your children see how a godly husband treats his wife. Hey, there, there you go. Let's look at Ephesians. Here's what Paul says to the Ephesians in 5, 5 and 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. We, we could use a lot of scriptures on this, right? But you know what I'm talking about. God wants you men and me to love our wives and treat them with respect and do the right thing. These children are watching that as well. Now how about how a godly wife treats her husband? Titus 2, verses 3 and 4. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given too much wine, teacher of good things, that they may teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. This is the proper behavior that we learn from the Scripture. This is letting the Scripture guide our lives when we put this into, into, into force. So, following godly examples is what we're talking about here. Let your children see the work. Now, they can't see the work unless you're doing the work. So whatever the church is involved in and the work of the church, be a part of that. You know, we can all stand on the sidelines and watch the football game and never, never get out there and make a play with them. What I'm talking about is being active in the, in the work of the church. You know what the work of the church is. I know y'all do a lot of work. Be active in that. Let your children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews seeing you be active in that. Encourage them to be active in that. Take them on hospital visits. Host a Bible study in your home. Take them to an area gospel meeting. How many of, that, how many of those do you have around here? Well, you've got to drive a long way for those. I know some people here came tonight that drove a long way. Is that difficult to do? I'm not going to tell you it's not. It is. You're tired at the end of the week. Man, the kids have been in school all, all week and come Friday night we're going to drive over there for a gospel meeting. Well, if you want your children to know that, it's in, that if that is important, you will. You've got to make a decision what you're going to do because you're leading them. Are you going to lead them not to do that, or are you going to lead them to do that? Let your children help clean the church building. Train them to be a servant. Let your children help clean the church building. Train them to be a servant. Train them to do God's will. And you cannot start too young. If they're, if they're big enough to, to carry them into the church building, they're, they're big enough to help you serve the church. Now, I don't know how y'all do things back home where I'm at. We don't hire anybody to do anything. We, we clean the church building ourselves. We mow the grass. You know, it's just, that's just the way we do it. But you, I can tell you this, that, that's not, not everybody signs up for that chore. Why is that? 
Our ladies prepare the communion. I mean, we got a lot of things that, that we do, just like you guys do. And we're a small congregation, so it's better for us to, to do that ourselves. How many people are doing that? Would anybody say 100% of our people are doing that? And here's the message. Get involved. Be a part. Don't, don't be an observer. Be a participant. Stay in the game. You will be the person that trains your child. Trains your child's outlook, attitude, opinions, and commitment to God's will. And you might think, well, you know, uh, yeah, I want to go over there. You know, the elders, they make sure that we got a lot of good preachers and all this, that, and the other, and, and they do. But that's not all there is to it. You're constantly leading. Is it too late? When you plant an, uh, an oak tree, and you probably heard this a hundred times, I don't know. I planted oak trees in my front yard. Um... I think 1983 or something like that. They're nice now, you know, just be around or so. <clears throat> now, if I hadn't done that, and I just really neglected to do that all along the way, the, the second chance that I have to do it is today. And that's what we encourage on, on this too as well. You're going to be a leader. You, can, you may have started 30-something years ago, but if you didn't, you can start today. And you're in a unique situation here, a wonderful situation where you've got a lot of guys and ladies that know how to help you with that. If you need help in that, reach out to them. Let them know, this is, this is what I'm struggling with. I need you to pray with me. I need you to help me. I need you to study with me privately. I need you to get me to a better place so that I can raise my family in a nurture and admonition of the Lord. Which way are you going to lead? You're leading. As you find yourself in these leadership roles, take on the Spirit of Christ. And here it is right here in Philippians 2 and 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He led, no doubt. No doubt about that. Society tells us that uh, your children must be individuals. You must let them decide and make decisions. How's that working? How does that work when you just turn it over to the children, let them do all the, make all the decisions? Think it works very well? got some school personnel in the crowd and I'm, I'm, I know what they're saying. They're going, oh, no, no. No, you've got to have guidelines and you've got to have instruction or you're going to have a mess is what you're going to have. And that's the same way on training kids in a spiritual way. Society says we must get along with our children. No. Our children must be guided and trained. And that that, is, I'm not saying you can't like them. I mean, they're, you know, you're going to love them and like them and all that, but they got to mind you. they got to do what you tell them. Or you're going to come out on the end of that with something that you don't want. God says take charge and raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that's how you really serve God and your family. That's the way you do it. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.